How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. (laughs) Nice. I tell you, Mark, I, I never tire of that. And I'm just trying to think, it must be... 200 plus times that you've really wow we're having fun we are having fun it's really fun what what you been doing over the last week what kind of fun have you had so so i have a revived faith in humanity oh why is that so i lost my wallet a week ago yeah yeah, but I was convinced I haven't actually lost it. That uh, it's either in my car, or it's in the house, or something like that. So I've been monitoring all of my credit cards, and there was no activity. And then I received a phone call from the police department saying that someone had brought my wallet into the police department. Wow! Yeah, yeah, I thought that, that was great. That is so great. Yeah, yeah. Humanity's real. People can be very kind. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. Love people. Yeah, that's that's a great reminder. It's so true. We all we all have a tendency to beat ourselves up, and yeah. you know we just can't make a game of it. You know, because it's not a game. But I'm speaking of games and gaming. I wonder whether uh, you could introduce our guest for tonight, Tom. Absolutely, Doctor Joe, joining us for the fourth time tonight, third time for a dedicated episode. We have not just Ratchet and Clank speedrunner but also Opera Master, Switch Personality, YouTube Personality, and Crash Bandicoot 4 Platinum Trophy Holder, you crazy son of a bitch. Welcome back to the Dr. Joe Show, Zem. Woo! Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Welcome back, Zem. So what's been going on? How have you been? Uh, it has, I, I believe we've been doing this consistently every nine months since the first time we've talked, right? So <laughs> it seems that way. So, uh, in the last nine months, the, the, I'll, I'll skip the, the minutiae. I'll get to the, the, the juicy bits. Uh, basically, you know, I feel like, uh, what I've experienced is consistent with what a lot of people are going through over the last, you know, chunk of time, which is, oh yeah, I think I'm ready to be a human being again. I think, you know, the the COVID trauma has come and gone and it's, you know, it's going to come back and linger around a little bit uh, from time to time. But I have come to the realization that I'm tired of living the life that I'm currently living and I'm taking a lot of steps to move towards the life I envision for myself. Um, And a lot of that came off the back of uh, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of analysis, looking at myself with a critical eye and... More than anything else, self-respect. I think that was mm. a big one. That was a, that was learning that. Like I think we all think we we know how to self-respect, but there's the difference between. There's usually a bit of a disconnect there. It's like the 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 bias of like uh, the people who think they're self-aware and the people who who know they're self-aware. You know. So I'm not saying I know I'm I'm self-aware, but I certainly have a lot more respect for myself these days. Um, I am planning on moving to amsterdam very wow. soon. That's, so that's like the big leap that i want to take 
And uh, it's a crazy, semi-spontaneous decision. And uh, it's forcing me to kind of grow into the shoes of somebody who would move to Amsterdam. <laughs> for, <laughs> for lack of a, of a better way. I think that's the most succinct way I can even say it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm changing career pads as well. I, before I was dedicated entirely to Twitch. I mean, I was studying YouTube, but I hadn't really made a lot of moves just yet. Uh, but in the last nine months, things have solidified a lot more. My team and I have a much better idea of what we're doing. Uh, we had our first video that hit over a million views. That wow. was pretty amazing. Um, we are currently following a lot of other trends to try to get more videos that have over a million views. So it's, uh, it's been a hell of a process. Um, well, and- congratulations. First of all, that's incredible. So what, what's the video? How do we find it? So uh, if you go to YouTube and type Zem, X-E-M, the first channel that shows up should be mine. It's just like a, you'll know it because the icon is like a a little cartoonish drawing of my face. Um, And then you just click on the profile and it's the featured video on the channel. It's uh, the third most recent video, I believe. It's uh, it's about the, I don't know, uh, God of War War Ragnarok in case uh, you guys have heard of it. Or uh, it's it's like a, a game just about like the, well, it was originally about the Greek gods and how one dude basically just goes and massacres all of them. They ran and out. They, and they, he actually ran out of Greek gods to kill. So now they've moved on to the Norse gods. Um, and so it's like very much based around like uh, a lot of the the tales of like Odin and Loki and Thor and all their, the ways they intertwine. And there is, a lot of it is very true to the lore, but of course, you know, you have this like unkillable God who's just like murdering everybody. But he also... Now he's now that he's older and he has a child, he doesn't want to murder people anymore. He wants to be a better man than that. So, you know, there's like growth and development. Um, but he keeps getting thrown in these crazy situations where he kind of has to. <laughs> and, and that has attracted a million people to, to watch that. Yeah, the uh, they rebooted the series. So the series went originally, it was like an early 2000s game. Um, and then somewhere around like 2010 is when they stopped making games for it. Uh, and they took a long hiatus and then it came back in 2018 on the PlayStation four. And it had that, that game has sold over 20 million copies. And so uh, the sequel, the follow-up was, was obviously going to be like hugely successful, hugely in demand. And I don't know how many people have bought it. They haven't really released a lot of the sales numbers, but it is easily, you know, I think they said in the first week of the game coming out, it had over 5 million sales. So it's, you know, we, we hit the right, concept at the right time and we had uh, basically just we had the know-how to put a video together that beat out all the other people who were making videos like that um which was really crazy because we are still the the niche that we're trying to fill right now it's it's called platinum trophying it's like when you 100 a game the game you know they have like online achievements you can get and then when you get all of them yeah, I want to do an episode on that. Think a digital merit badge, but you get that little dopamine thing. Yeah, every time the trophy pops up, it's like a little dopamine hit, which is perfect for YouTube because it's YouTube is about constant re-engagement. I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I have a tendency of never shutting up about this stuff. But like, uh, basically, it, it's the videos you plot out where each trophy happens. And so each trophy is its own little mini moment. And so, you know, if you have an, one of these things popping up every 90 to 240 seconds, then it keeps people re-engaged. And so, you know, there's high retention, high people coming or high amounts of people coming to these sorts of videos. And 
Uh, we figure it's a really good transition out of what I had been doing with speedrunning because it allows me to diversify my portfolio more. I can play more games. Um, and also, you know, anytime a new game comes out, it's it's perfect because I can just immediately capitalize on the trend. I can just get the platinum trophy, put a video together, put it out, and then it usually does pretty freaking well. So, yeah. <laughs> Could you just remind our, our listeners, they may not know what speedrunning is. Sure. Um, so speedrunning is a niche subset of hardcore gaming where people take uh, video games. They tend to be older video games. So they don't have to be. Um, and they just try to beat them as fast as possible. So, for example, the most popular speedrunning game of all time is Super Mario 64 for the Nintendo 64. Um, came out in, I believe, 1997 and is still run by thousands of people. Um, and, but, you know, you also have other games. Like, pretty much any game you can think of, there is somebody who has speedrun it. I guarantee it. Um, unless it's, like, brand spanking new or literally no one's heard of it. But aside from that, speedrunning is a very, uh, I don't know, like, it has a hardcore audience. That's what I would say. Very dedicated group of people who do it. Although it's not necessarily the most popular subgenre of gaming. Well, it can be hypnotic though. Like, yeah. So there are big events. So, like, we've talked about GDQ, Games Done Quick, mm. that has marathons throughout the year where they raise crap loads of money for cancer research mostly. And there'll be, there'll be games like Pepsi Man. So, Pepsi had released a game for the play, original PlayStation, I think, like late 90s. And it has a cult following. And I think they get like the actors from the little cutscenes to come to come to the, to the marathons every now and then. And it's yeah. funny, like each game has its own like culture around it. Yeah, it, that's definitely true. Uh, yeah, there's, there's as many different kinds of people who speedrun as there are different games to speedrun. And so in a, in many ways on the outside, it looks like a random pointless hobby. Like a lot of people, and it's even in gaming will be like, well, why, why would you do that? Like, doesn't that just ruin the game for you? But in reality, the thing that's cool about it is that it's helped me find connections with so many like-minded people that I would have never met otherwise. I mean, like, how am I, how the hell do I have friends or how the hell am I going to get friends who who live in Denmark or like Australia or, you know, anywhere in the world you can think of uh, unless I have like some sort of grounding thing to connect me to them. Um, and so that's basically what I kind of enjoy about speedrunning these days back, you know, when I felt like I had more to prove to the world, I was definitely more of a cast iron tyrant and I would try to get every world record I possibly could and make a point of just like stomping on other people's dreams um, but now that I've, you know, matured a bit more, I, I, I see speedrunning more for what it is. Um, and it's given me a, a really cool and interesting life, not a very stable life, but it's given me a cool and interesting one. Um, and, uh, right now the YouTube, uh, ventures that I'm trying to take are meant to fill the gaps of stable. Um, cause you know, with, with YouTube, especially like my channel right now has nearly 50,000 subscribers, which nothing to sneeze at. Um, but like, once you start getting into the realm of like a hundred thousand, 200,000, 300,000, that's passive income, literally just like older videos that you've made just continue to somehow keep racking up ad revenue. Um, and so like, this is, this is basically the business decision. I, I believe I've talked with you before about how I, I wanted to sit down and seriously study this stuff and, and work on it. And now we are in the heavy production phase. Um, I have to learn how to be a boss now. That's hard. 
I had no idea how hard it is to be my own boss until I truly started acting like my own boss. Um, and so now like I, I manage a couple of editors and things like that as well. So Sam, can I ask how has the IM affected your decision-making and, and how you're communicating with, with everybody? I would say in a lot of ways, it's reinforced a lot of things that I knew, but didn't practice. You know, because I'll I'll explain a little bit more. So I come from a background where I have been very in touch with the, I guess, with mental health in general. Never anything specific, but you know, my mom was a therapist. Um, you know, she raised me as a single parent, so I got to hear a lot about her life. I got I got to hear a lot about, um, you know, the ways that she treats with or she talks with people, a lot of the practices, a lot of things like that. I've had a lot of people in my life who are also mental health, like very conscious of that, you know, studying or practicing. And so for me, a lot of the thinking that I do is uh, very self-reflective already. Um, but it's always refreshing to see another perspective because you always learn things that you never even thought of. And so for me, I, I was, you know, I'll give an example. So I just mentioned that I, I have to be my own boss now. And the challenges that come with being your own boss oftentimes really are communication. It's always communication. Um, you know, something's not working right. Well, have we communicated what is going wrong or do all parties understand why this certain thing is happening? And I found that I just wasn't good at it. Like I just, I really, it was because I was trying to be everyone's friend um, more so than, you know, being their boss. But then I was thinking like, well, there has to be a way to wed the two. There has to be a way to, to, to demand the best out of people while also respecting them. Because I think that's where a lot of bosses go wrong. And I, and I think one of the big things, I, I forget exactly where it is in the book, but I know it's, it's like relatively early on. It was about like uh, I, uh, the connection. There was another word that was attached to it, but it was like it, how like basically you voice your own thoughts and concerns and things when you're trying to connect with others. And then you listen to theirs, process it, and then try to ask the right kinds of questions and like more so just show that you are um, like, you're just there, you're present with them. You're hearing them, you're listening to them. And I, I think that is like one of the missing elements of how to lead, because I think like basically the the assessment that I had come to on my own, which is is that like I have to lead with love first. But how do you do that? You know, like the next follow up question is how on God's green earth do you show that you love people? And oftentimes, like especially in in my craft, where it is like tight windows, tight timelines. You know, everything's got to get done. We have grand projects we're trying to do. A lot of it is um, leading with my best foot forward and, and following my own practices and principles. And so when I meet people at the level of, I am showing you these parts of myself that I hope are, you know, showing that you can do it too, but now let's talk about it and talk about where your, your reticence come for, comes from, or like what sort of questions or hesitations you may have along the way, especially because a lot of my, but the people that I work with are on the younger side. My editors are, I believe 19 and 20. I could be wrong about that. Um, they're immensely talented. They're very, very good at what they do. But, you know, there's a lot of issues that come with being a 19 or 20 year old. 
And so a lot of that is just like hearing them and, and breaking the habit. I think that some people, especially, you know, cause I'm 30, I, I haven't been through everything, but I've been through a bit, you know? And so I, I just don't want to be that person who's ever like, oh, you know, don't worry. Like it, it won't be as bad when you get older or like, oh, you're just young, you know, like that's such a non way of communicating with people. And so I had to really think deeply about like who I was at that time, what headspace I was in and how I best connect with people who are currently going through what they are going through. And uh, that's basically the, the, one of the biggest things that I took from it was that like, you have to lead both within and without, and it's really helped out a lot. You know, like I, I, I've built up the rapport with, with my, the people that I work with now where I can say to them, I hear you. I understand you. I under, I, and I know that the problems that you're dealing with are not what you want to be dealing with. Let's work now. And then when we take a break, we'll talk about it, you know? And it's, and it's like, I'll be with you. I'm here with you. And, and it's just like, you know, that's the kind of, of structural support system that we have to run because we're just, you know, we're, we're too small to be cold and inefficient. <laughs> so it's acknowledging where the person is at, but saying, I'm not dismissing it, not ignoring it. But in order to really give it the attention it deserves, mm -hmm. we need to do it a little later because we got to yes. get this done first, prioritize this, get it done, and then let's spend the time talking. You sound very think conscious about not being above them. I don't think I am. I, I do think that, that in terms of leadership, um, you know, there is a responsibility of being the leader. Yeah. But by creating the respect and value, you get the loyalty. Yeah. And then, and, and, you know, my style has always been, I know you can do this. I cannot wait to see how you get there. It's going to be yeah. so much fun and empowering someone to get there, you know, because I, I really do believe in people. I, I, I don't, I personally don't feel like there's, there's anything special about, being a chief medical officer of a company. You know, my, my great privilege is to say, you know, we have incredible people here. Let's, let's see how we can help others. Yeah, and that really is, you know, I mean, that's my field is, is helping others. Treat it like a role, not a title. Yeah, it's very true. It's true. And, yeah. and being a role model as well. Say, you know, modeling the way we want people to be, you mm -hmm. know, I will treat you with respect and you will then hopefully want to do the same. But how many, how many leaders are so opposite? You know, I'm going to tell you what to do. And then are astonished that the person right beneath you continues that to tell the person beneath them what to do. And then beneath them, beneath them. And now you've got this whole string of people, none of whom feel particularly empowered to do anything. They're just being told what to do. Yeah. So, not my style at all. Yeah. I feel like a lot of those people as well, you know, I feel like it starts to warp your mind a bit when you attach way too much of yourself to what you do. I like, and, and certainly not enough to who you are and what you value. I think that's so important as well. Cause I mean, it, it, in my own case where it was like, you know, I can, I can tell them what to do and I can try to do it myself, but like, why, <laughs> you know, I got, I have to have that locked down and then follow that up with the what of just like, all right, well, what next, you know, and balance it's, it's important. But, but, you know, those leadership styles are still IMs. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's the best that person can do for whatever reason. What that's was true. going on in their domains that they create that sort of a, a role model for themselves yeah. as being that sort of leader. It's an I am. But, so to keep looking at it, wondering well, why is that person doing what they're doing? And then maybe we can help them make a small change hmm. if, if they're not that comfortable. So, you know, I, I really appreciate you, you looking at the I am. What, what have you taken away from it for, for, for yourself in terms of how you manage? Or- I, I think so these days I, I try to, cause I, you know, with, with ADHD and with being a bit of a recluse, there's, there's definitely the tendency to fall down thinking rabbit holes. And I think a lot of what I've learned from I am and what I've learned just from self-reflection is a lot of, believe it, because it, because it is like there's so much to think about with involving I am. But for me, I have to act first. I have to act first and then I reflect afterwards. And by acting on whatever it is that I feel like, you know, within reason, obviously. But like, um, for example, I was aware uh, about five to six months ago that I just wasn't like, I, I, why am I having such a hard time keeping up my physical fitness? Why am I having a, such a hard time sticking to my gym regimen? I've told myself I would do this all COVID. And so, you know, I do it for a couple of months and then I stop. And then I, I realized, oh my God, I'm not doing it for a good reason. I, I'm, I'm just picking the vanity reason of, I want to look good, but that's not, a, that's not enough to drive somebody. You have to, you have to, you have to, find a, a part of it that you love and that you respect, not just within the thing, but within yourself. And so I, I kind of messed around a little bit. I, I, I tried to pick up some physical activities and I eventually landed on rock climbing. And it, it's it, the stereotype is that anybody who rock climbs can't go a conversation without talking about rock climbing. <laughs> but but I, I, I basically now I'm six months into my rock climbing adventure and it's made physical fitness so much easier because now, now I have the reflection to realize I needed that motivator. Now I go to the gym because I want to get stronger to climb harder routes. And I can relate yeah. to this. My, my daughter, Sophie, has, is so into rock climbing. Galen is really into it. And he, yeah, it's, it's remarkable to, to, to watch it. I watch videos yeah. of her doing this stuff. It's like, how did you do that? And man, she's so fit now. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's such a metaphor as well, isn't it? For, you know, trying to climb our own mountains. And- yes. It, it honestly feels incredible every single time. You know, I, I never get tired of it because every single new problem is its own challenge. And it's like sometimes just getting up to the top of that, of that last rock, it somehow just rips you out of your own head and you're just like, maybe my problems aren't that big of a deal after all. Like maybe I can do this, you know? Um, but that's, you know, it's so much of that is, is like, again, for me, it's, it's all just habit building right now. Do the good things and, and think the good thoughts in the good way question why, like, you know, now I'm at the point in my ADHD exploration where I can pinpoint the anxious thoughts coming in and, at first it was, it was a why, like, why do I think the way that I think? 
And, you know, you take that sense of self-reflection, you, you, you do the, you know, the questioning, the, the, you know, all of that, but then eventually with, with research into, into the book, into all, all these other things that I was doing to try to like learn new ways of thinking, it, it did become what, you know, the, what questions of like, okay, I'm feeling anxious, but what small step can I take right now to remove that anxious thought from my brain and replace it with a positive thought? And, you know, and something that really helps is keeping them related where it's like, you know, you take the thing and you just spin it, you just take it and flip it right on its head. And it's like, you know, oh, well, I, I don't want to do this thing. It's because I'm, I, I care about it. Like, I don't want to risk messing it up. So what do I do next to put myself, just, just walk the path, you know? Tell us about the venture into YouTube and how it works and got a million videos i mean a million views on one video you've got almost 50,000 subscribers what does that mean for you so basically youtube is it's honestly i didn't know what to expect going into it i i've been you know thoughtlessly creating videos on my various gaming achievements since you know 2009 maybe even earlier than that like 2007 2008 but i never really had any sense of focus or direction never took it super seriously until november 2021 where i said i don't want to do this live streaming thing forever i would rather start walking the path of something more stable more secure uh and more creative honestly you can get much more creative with youtube than you can with a live stream and uh, so basically I, for about a month, I sat down and I did a ton of research, a lot of like baseline lang like things like learning the lingo, learning how, like what sort of stuff people care about, uh, found some editors and I've been working my channel upwards ever since. So I started uh, last, I mean, I want to say that it's kind of snowballed a little bit. I started making videos last year around this time april of last year i think is when we released our first like really well edited video to an audience of about twenty-two thousand people um and it did okay it actually did it pretty decently uh and then we just kept getting better at it we kept getting more efficient at what we wanted to make and uh, we basically ended the year at 30,000 subs. We didn't really make all too many waves. And then in the last like couple of months, I've managed to get to swing another 15,000 subscribers. So the snowball is starting. Uh, I have to make sure I, I keep striking while this iron is hot. Um, with YouTube, the thing that's so cool about it is that there is an audience for everything. Now, obviously not all audiences are created equal, but um, I remember I read a book called the YouTube formula by a man named Daryl Eves, not to promote other people on, on, on here, but it was a very eye-opening book for me. There's so many books out there that like can help with this, but this one in particular really struck a chord with me. It was so, uh, Daryl Eves, he's been a consultant for all the biggest YouTubers out there. Mr. Beast, everybody knows who Mr. Beast is at this point. Uh, and if you don't, you know somebody you know knows who he is um and you know mark rober uh, a guy who's very science orientated there's like a lot of other people who like people who uh make youtube videos for for kids you know six to eight year olds like they're they're like basically like the power rangers of, of today um 
he's worked with everybody. And he also made an, an incredibly famous advertisement for the Squatty Potty, I believe it's called, where like a unicorn like poops ice cream. Um, it's a very weird, very... Yeah, but it was like the most viral ad of all time when it came out. It got like 15 million hits, like basically overnight. And so this dude has done this sort of stuff for a long time. And, and he talked about how the biggest thing you can do when you're growing a channel is to find an audience, find your audience as specifically as possible. Figure out exactly who you're trying to talk to figure out not just what they want to watch, but who they are as people. And the more specific you can get, the better. So, you know, you want to think about like, what kind of other videos do they watch? Uh, where do they live? How old are they? What, what, uh, you know, um, what kind of stuff do they buy online? Like how do they live their day-to-day -day lives? And the more you can hypothesize on this stuff, and the more accurate you can you can get with this, the better you are at creating videos specifically for that person. Avatars. Ava that's exactly the term. It's an avatar. And um, when you, like, basically he gives a lot of strategies on how to figure this kind of stuff out. A lot of it tends to just be on forum pages like Reddit or like if you can do some online digging and try to see like more and more about these kinds of people, how they speak, what lingos, or, or, um what's the word like the shibboleths of the of the the craft um and you know you you make it for them and then you you create and you create and you create and uh you know there's a lot of analysis that one can do there's a lot of ways to look at that data and figure out spots that do work spots that don't work how to re-engage people um but largely you know a lot it's 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 crazy how a lot of these people just say like, make the, the videos, the, the make the best video you possibly can, not just for that person, but also for yourself. Cause you have to find that sort of balance in there as well. Um, now that's obviously, you know, you kind of want to be focusing more on the people than yourself, but you got to obviously do things that you enjoy. Um, and also there's like a, a notability factor. You have to, you have to kind of put yourself out there in a way it's called a blue ocean strategy. Figure out what kind of videos you want to be creating, even if nobody else is creating those kinds of videos and just create them. And, and honestly, sometimes the more different it is from everybody else, the better it can be. Obviously, you know, like how psychologically when we see uh, a, a building with like a red or yellow sign, we think food. But so you want to make it similar to the people that you're, you're competing against, but different enough that it, it creates you, you know, your appeal who you are and the kind of things that you want to say. And I just love it a lot because it's just art. It, it's the most in touch with art I've ever been. Even, you know, I, I, I was an opera singer for 10 years before I did this. And I've never felt more in control of my own artistic voice. So that's why I personally love it a lot. I know I just kind of went on a big old tangent. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Any, any questions or, or comments that you guys have, I'd love to answer them. It's a lot to absorb. I mean, we're, you know, I think being able to find the audience, um, that's, that alone is a talent. I mean, to have that niche, the Dr. Joe show is very broad in that way. Who <laughs> well, we are we... and why we do what we do. Go ahead, Tom. So, like the opposite of this niche. So, uh, so our channel on YouTube is, is, is a clip channel. It's like, it's like VODs for you, uh, Twitch, but, 
-hmm. I've noticed that the two big groups are older people who are very attracted to the Zoom stories. Mm -hmm. Those are our highest performing videos. And I edit the clips in the fashion of like Sam Cedar, Hasanabi, or mm -hmm. uh, Dick Masterson is the his, his clip channel is the one I just pretty much aped. A lot of just podcast listeners because it's a, it's a clip show. Yeah. When you say Zoom, you're not talking about this Zoom. You're talking about the PBS 1972 show yeah. Zoom. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting to me, because like there's gotta, I guess. So a lot of what I think about now as a YouTuber is like not just the kind of stuff that I want to make, but how is it related to current trends? Because you kind of have to think about that. And nostalgia is always a big trend. You know, I think honestly. Maybe if the, if the stuff that's similar to Zoom is doing well, you could always try to explore what other shows people who who watched Zoom enjoyed and try to see what kind of other stylistic stuff you can throw in there. It, it, it's it's kind of it's wild because that's another big thing with YouTube. I think the the roadblocks that a lot of people tend to face. This is an extremely common problem. I've been through it to death and back, which is that like people just get locked doing the same stuff over and over. And because, you know, they, they found uh, maybe the one or two things that did well that one time. It's like, oh, let's just copy that. And it's like, yeah, that works for a time. And, and I certainly know that because I've played the same three games on my stream for years now. But eventually, even the most diehard fans get bored of it. And it's all about learning how to make everything 5% different. And, and in any direction you want, it doesn't matter. You, you just make a strong choice and just go for it. And then if it works, great. You've got another like uh, series of patterns you can follow and, and, and like a new, but basically the, the, it's called content buckets. Um, and you want to, it, it like, you did say buckets, correct? I yes. just wanted my WATD. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, like a, this like has happened pan. before actually. That's, That's very right, specific, right. but it's happened before. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> In the other direction. Yeah. It, it's like how, you know, the most exciting houses on Halloween are the ones that have tons of options for their candy. I mean, obviously, you know, the most common one is the full candy bars. But like imagine a house that has seven uh, different pails or buckets of uh, different kinds of candies. You know, you've got your brownies, you've got your whole candy bars, you've got uh, like, you know, gummies, you've got, you know, little packets of other stuff, whatever. That's going to be the most exciting thing because there's you can pick anything you want. And similarly, channels that find the stuff that they can diversify with. And it can't be that big of a stretch. It has to be related to each bucket. But each bucket can fill another bucket. And so, uh, you know, for example, with, with the speedrunning that I've done of, a, of the game series Ratchet and Clank, it's like, well, yeah, you know, uh, there's not really any new games coming out. No new information. No new stuff there. So what do we do? Well, we can mod the game so that it's totally different than what people are used to. That's interesting. Or we can play a game that's related to Ratchet and Clank that our audience would still latch onto because, oh, well, I grew up playing this and I also grew up playing this. So for example, uh, Tom uh, mentioned this at the very, very beginning, but uh, Crash 4 is, is a, a game that came out in 2020 and it's notoriously difficult. It is, it is one of the hardest games ever put on the PlayStation. And so we were like, well, you know, I'm trying to do this thing now where I play games and I 100% them and then make a video out of that. I've done that for Ratchet and it did really well. Let's try doing it for Crash. Why the hell not? 
And it was one of those things where my audience didn't really get it at first because they were so used to me trying to do, like try to beat a half hour game as fast as I could, right? And this is a, you know, this is this project is taking 10, 20, 30, 40 hours. And people are like, I don't really get it. And then they keep watching and they realize the same like level of triumph that they feel when I finally get a new personal best in my speed running is the same level of triumph that it that like happens when I finally beat this ridiculously hard section and get the trophy for it. And this whole venture took 90 hours. Um, I spread it across several, you know, several weeks. And at the very beginning, there wasn't that much interest. But by the end of it, people were like, holy, like tons of people that were coming in being like, I got really invested in this and I'm just going to watch this now. And I'm like, cool, great to have you. And it's so crazy because especially on YouTube, with the world of live streaming, things come in and out of favor all the time. But on YouTube, there's always a chance to do something different. Every, there's no such thing as a channel being stuck or like being punished by YouTube and being forced to be at the number they're be at that they are currently at. Rather, it's it should be treated and, and again, you were talking about like flipping uh, information onto the proper way of thinking, or at least a more uh, conducively healthy way of thinking, and you know, rather than think, wow, I'm being punished by this YouTube algorithm that I can't see or understand. Instead, what I had to start learning how to think is what I'm currently doing isn't good enough. And I have to find a way to make it 5% better. And how do I do that now? And then it becomes a motivator rather than something that depresses you. <laughs> you know, before we get to talking about some of the stuff we spoke offline, you know, those, those YouTube videos where you get drawn in to the story and then they just keep, they just don't get to the end of it. Mm. You know, they keep doing this and this, and you're going, I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I've just been drawn into this. And sometimes just don't wait to see the end. That's a really interesting play on psychology, isn't that? The, oh yeah. Where we get sort of seduced in to the story that never ends. And, and that's something like, the more I study it, the more I realize YouTube is psychology. It's all about learning how to hit the most uh, like primal senses that we have. Um, you know, the best stories are always the ones that challenge our sense of comfort and, and they draw us in and they, and they say, and they make us want to figure out what the hell is going to happen. Like for example, Mr. Beast, one of the, the, you know, the YouTuber I mentioned before he, one of his most popular videos is that he buried himself alive for 50 hours. That's pretty freaking cool. And it taps into so much of our primal, like, I don't want to be buried alive, but I want to see this guy get buried, you know? So, As a psychiatrist, yeah. I, I, I want to advise people, do not <laughs> bury yourself alive for 50 hours. It's like when people, when I ask, so how are you doing? And they say, I'm hanging in there. I say, never say that to a psychiatrist. <laughs> so, so Tom, offline, we were talking a little bit about music. What was the question that you had? Well, yeah. Uh, how much of a role is music going to play, do you think, in your career moving forward? Because, you know, that's not something you just drop completely, yeah? Well, I'll tell you, I think I have to, to answer your question, I have to get there. And uh -huh. if you don't mind me waxing a tail for a couple seconds here, well, not more than a couple seconds, but basically when I left music, it was it was right when the pandemic had, had first began. Um, I was finishing up my graduate degree in opera. 
I was putting together my recital, all of my opera uh, scenes that I wanted to do for the end of the semester. It was, uh, I had a great plans and I had big aspirations. And then, uh, you know, even with audition season coming in and things like that, everything just got canceled straight up. And it gave me the time to reflect. Um, and I basically realized that I just did not enjoy the path of music I was walking down. It felt like I, and this is again, you know, this is, this is probably going to shine through in what I was just talking about with YouTube, but I felt like I was a part of a musical museum where rather than creating art, I'm just doing the same freaking thing that's already been done 800 times. Uh, you could replace me with any other baritone and you get the exact same thing. I mean, I'm not saying that, that my, you know, I, I felt I was better at performing than a lot of these other baritones I was seeing. So I, you know, in a way I'm exaggerating, but basically i kind of realized i was just like i don't know like is this really the life that i want to live i'm not even sure if i like the system that i'm a part of because there's a lot of greed and corruption and, and uh nepotism and and really horrible things that happen at the top levels in the world of opera as i'm sure happen in most industries but you know regardless i was i i my relationship with music became very strained um, because I had made the decision to leave professional singing, but I wasn't at peace with my decision. And I had to, over the last few years, figure that out, I guess. And I'm still working through it, but for a long time I ran from it and I just didn't use my voice or my, my musicianship skills at all. And because I, I felt like a part of me felt that um, if I started giving it my all again, I would have to admit that I didn't give it my all before. Mm. And I think I, I had to come to the realization over time that like, what does that even mean? That that's a meaningless sentence. Like, of course I gave it my all. I gave it the, the best I could, the best I knew how to do. And was it perfect? Arguably no, but it was right for me at the time. Similar to how I don't have to let that define how I view music in my life right now. And that's, that's been the turning point for me. Um, I, I remember I, I basically had that moment where I was sitting at my piano. I had practiced for 15 minutes and I could not bring my brain to what make me practice anymore. And I just started crying. And I was like, why can't I do this? Why have I never been able to just sit down and focus on my music for as long as I want to? And then I realized it came with all these conflicted feelings. And so now, again, I'm, I'm acting first and thinking and reflecting and doing all of that when I can, it, you know, usually when I meditate at nights uh, or whenever I can find some time when I'm like riding my electric scooter and just thinking about life. But now my relationship with it is a lot healthier. And I'm finally in a position where I can confidently say I am making music for myself. I'm making the music I want to make, the music I love to make. And I'm not good at piano right now. Uh, at least I'm not as good as I would like to be someday. But I'm enjoying the process. So music will make a return. Um, I'm already thinking about the various TikToks that I can make and, and how I'm going to put Subway Surfers gameplay on the bottom to keep people engaged. You know, and I got <laughs> I gotta ask right now. So if I were to start putting Dr. Joe clips on TikTok, could I use some of your uh, gameplay footage and credit you? I would be honored. As an you, Easter egg. You are more than welcome to do that. Done. So Dr. Joe and Mark. So there's this like 
I mean, it's a bad sign for the human attention span, but on TikTok for clips, they'll, uh, it's going to be top bottom is top is whatever is going on, whether it's like a podcast interview or something like that. the bottom is this game, like subway surfers or which is just like a little arcade game or like Minecraft gameplay or something like that. Or like so people that cutting have, soap <laughs> or like those, like satisfying, just watching videos. Yeah. Just like so that you hold your attention and listen. Uh, like I said, maybe a bad sign for the human attention span, but I guess it's effective. Well, it, our attention span is is designed to be minimal, really, because mm. we want to be sure we're not missing a predator somewhere else. But we've been asked to do a lot more with it, uh, which is important to build a civilization and society. It's important to be able to pay attention for a little bit longer uh, but but i you know i think the tiktok is fascinating the way it's the way it has captured such a large population mm-hmm. there is that, that you know there is that limbic component to it where it's just you know quick fun done let's go on to something else how that translates into living your life on the other hand may may give you some challenges as you move forward because it is important to be reflective not just reflexive that's part yeah. of the, the i am we're going to be reflexive we're going to be limbic uh and that's critical to our survival but then just as you're doing them you're you're reflecting what will happen next if i keep doing this now mm-hmm. that's not a limbic function at all that is absolutely prefrontal cortical we, the limbic system does not plan. It has to harness the prefrontal cortex in order to make a plan. Mm. So it's, um, it's all brain, how we use it. And it's all an IM, right? Not just a, an individual, but a system has an IM. Yeah. The world of opera has an IM. The world of YouTube has an IM. Yeah. Our entire country has an IM. We're influenced by what's happening in the world. But how we respond is going to be really critical for our survival as a species, not just as an individual. And, and that's, that's really part of what we're trying to do with the I am, is saying we're all in this together. We're one group that's called humanity. We don't need to keep dividing ourselves. But we're almost coming down to the last few minutes. So, Zan, remember the, the I am has two main truths. Because the four domains interact, a small change in any of the domains can have a big effect. Mm-hmm. So given what we're talking about tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? It's it's uh, very easy to say, very difficult to practice for a lot of people. But I would honestly say sleep as healthily as possible. That is, that is something I, I think... It's something I've struggled with my whole life. I've always had a bad sleep schedule. Um, but all of the changes that I make for myself are only possible when you set yourself up with that level of respect where you say, it is now time for me to wind down, start getting ready for bed, treat it like a, like a ritual and sleep for as long as you can. You cannot do, you cannot make big changes if you're not giving yourself adequate rest. And um, I know that a, like a lot of people, I, I'm not sure of the, of the people who watch this show, but I know there are a lot of people out there who don't get as much sleep as they need to. And that was 
uh, I remember I saw, I believe it was a TED talk about sleep and it changed my entire perspective. And, it, and that has laid the foundation for all of the reflection and the, and the, and the self-respect that I've been able to give myself. Cause now, you know, it, it's like, sometimes I'll oversleep some, you know, uh, sometimes I won't sleep enough, but if I keep myself consistent, I know that every day I can wake up and give it my all. It's true. Our, our brains and bodies are absolutely designed to have that sleep component. Difficult for some people because they get afraid that they're going to be eaten by a predator if they're asleep. <laughs> but we are not going to be eaten by saber-toothed tigers. With the mat in mind, the, the second truth of the I am, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be because everyone is interested in what you think about them which has an effect on their biological domain because, you know, it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. Suzanne, what kind of influence do you want to be? I want to be somebody. I think you have asked me this question before, and I believe I answered as somebody who wants to help others and make their lives a bit easier. I don't think that's my answer anymore. Hmm. I actually personally would rather inspire people than help them. Uh, I, I don't want to fix their problems. I want to show them that if they put their best feet forward, they can fix their own problems. They have that inner strength. I think that's great. And that is so I am. It really is. You're doing the best you can. If you don't like it, you can change it. Mm. You don't need to devalue yourself, feel that you're broken. You can do this. Sam, I, I think inspiration is a great, great influence on people. I appreciate I so because you are clearly influencing people and inspiring them through that. It's really important. Really important. I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. And I'm grateful for, for you being on the show. And, and it is true. It's like every nine months we, we hear about a new birth, Sam, <laughs> and we're looking forward to the next one. So have a so when do you when do you think you're gonna head overseas? Um, ideally, the end of July, early August. Realistically, it's just uh, you know handling the process of finding a lawyer who can help me with my visa, my passport stuff, and uh, yeah, just finding a place to live. But when you're there, so, you're gonna come back on the show. Time difference, understood. Um, it's it's yeah. been great. I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful evening and. We'll see you next week on the Dr. Joe Show. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Bye.